Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. Happy Mother's Day once again here to everybody. And uh, yep, happy Mother's Day. Go ahead and give it up for the moms. That's great. We're glad that you're here this morning. If you're new with us here today, we always have new people coming to Community of Hope, and especially on Mother's Day. Maybe you're new with us online. Maybe you're new here in person. Let me introduce myself. My name is Trevor. I'm one of the pastors here at Community of Hope. We are so privileged that you've joined us online today for Mother's Day, and for all of you here in person, we're privileged that you have joined us here today. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us here at Community of Hope. Man, wasn't that worship great? Can we give it up for the worship team? Thank you. Thank you, team. So great. Hey, a quick little word before we jump into our message. Many of you uh, heard the news earlier this week in all of our media channels uh, that we have for email and social media and yada, yada, yada for Community of Hope that we have made masks optional at Community of Hope at all of our locations. Yep. Several. Yep. Lots of you are thrilled with that. And there's some people who are also a little apprehensive about that. So regardless where you are on the spectrum, whether you're thrilled, it's about time or ooh, I'm a little apprehensive. Here's the deal. Everybody on that spectrum, we're all community of hope. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen to that. So where masks have become like a divisive thing in our culture, we refuse to let that be a divisive thing here at our church. And we just want to say that let's all love each other. Let's give space to not judge each other as we navigate what's right for us and our families, each one. Amen. Can we all do that? Amen. Great. Okay. Um, for any of those of you who um, are more comfortable, if you're here in person and you do feel more comfortable wearing a mask, feel absolutely no shame or no pressure around that, you'll see me wearing mine. I get my first dose of the vaccine tomorrow and my wife is pregnant at home. So we're going to have to be a little bit extra careful for my house. So regardless of where you and your family are at with this, no shame. We're all just going to love each other as we figure it out. Great. Great. Awesome. Awesome. Great, great, great. All right. So if you haven't already, go ahead and open up, grab your phone, open up the COH app if you have it. And we're jumping on the sermon notes there. And we're going to dive into our message today. We're in the middle of a series that we're calling Mistaken Identity. Everyone say that with me. Mistaken Identity. Mistaken Identity. And what we're talking about are false perceptions that people have about God and talking about who is God really? Who is God really? Really? Now, uh, we think we've really hit a nerve with this series. We've gotten great feedback so far. If you missed any of the talks, they're all on YouTube. They're all on our podcast. I encourage you to go check that out. Um, I had a conversation, and I said this last week at our East Campus. I had a conversation with Matt Mossberg, one of the lead guitarists in our church. Uh, Matt, thank you for your service. We honor you. We love you. That's great. And so uh, Matt, and I, Matt and I were having a coffee last week, and he was telling me, um, I, I said this last week at the East Campus, I forgot to ask if I could say it, and I forgot to ask if I could say it again, but it's all fine. Um, so we were, say, we were having coffee um, and uh, last week, and he told me, he's like, man, this series has really kind of like revealed to me and shown me that I have like these head-level beliefs about God, like these intellectual beliefs about God. But I didn't realize I also had gut-level beliefs about God. Like in my mind, I say, well, of course God is this. But actually my gut and my emotions and in my heart, I'm not sure if that's what I actually think about God. And in this series, what we're trying to do is speak to both your mind and to your gut. Because you might have learned true things about God. You might have learned false things about God. We want to talk to literally what you think. But your gut, what you pick up in life and what rubs off on you because life is a contact sport. 
We want to speak to those things too. And the great thing is no matter what you think of God, the way to figure out what's a false perception about God and what's true about God, all you have to do is hold up Jesus. And Jesus is the great filter for what is true or what is false about God. And that's what we're doing in this series. In fact, our theme verse comes from Hebrews chapter one, verse three. And we're going to put it up on the screen. So I want everybody here in the West Campus to read it out loud. And if you're in a place where you're streaming this online, we can read it out loud too where you're at. I encourage you to do that. I don't care if you're at Starbucks and your neighbor will think you're weird. Just do it anyway. <laughs> and so it says this here in verse three. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. I love this, that the God of the Bible is not a God where we're guessing what he's like, guessing what he would say, guessing what he would do, guessing what his heart is like. The God of the Bible is the God of revelation. He's the God who reveals himself to people to show them exactly what he's like. And God is exactly like Jesus. The son is the exact representation of his being. What do you know? The father and son look alike. You want to know what God is like? All you have to do is look at Jesus. That's what we're doing in the series. Now, we have a lot to read and a lot to learn this morning and a lot to go over. So I said, let's pause. Let's pray and focus our minds, our hearts on where we're going. Would you pray with me? Father, we come in the name of the exact representation of your being the Son, who is God, fully equal with you, the Father. We come in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And we thank you that you have revealed yourself so clearly to us in him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Lord, I just get a sense in my, my own spirit this morning that this room needs hope today. And maybe people online need hope. And um, that's good because that's what this church is all about. And Lord, so for the heart that came in here, that needs you to light up the darkest night, like we just sang, would you do it by the power of the Holy Spirit and with your perfect love, would you cast out all fear in Jesus' mighty name. We open ourselves to you now, ready to hear fresh from you. We ask this in your name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, so let's jump right on in. This week's mistaken identity we're calling angry God. Angry God, everyone say that with me. Angry God. <clears throat> Angry God is AKA otherwise known as cosmically ticked off supreme being. This is otherwise known as the God who has a red smite button on. He's just pressing it to hit people with lightning or drop pianos on people while they're walking on the sidewalk. Like, Damn, smite, smite, smite. It's that God. This is the God of Samuel L. Jackson, which I don't know what Samuel Jackson's belief system is, but before he was Nick Fury in the Avengers movies, his first breakout role was in Pulp Fiction. Don't go watch it. Anyway. <laughs> And he said this, he quoted the Bible before he was about to shoot somebody, and I'm going to do my best Samuel Jackson, and he said, quoting the Bible, and I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger, and you will know my name is the Lord. I'm trying my best to be Samuel Jackson. He yells everything. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee, blah, and he, you know, just blows some guy away. That's God? Yeah, no. So... That's that God. This is the God of the uh, coming next summer. It's the sequel to the passion of the Christ. That's right. Next summer, it's the revenge of the Christ. 
Jesus is back, and boy, is he pissed, right? <laughs> this is that picture about God. Now, <clears throat> now, a lot of people, all joking aside, a lot of joking aside, a lot of people really struggle with this view of God, either in your head or in your gut. A lot of people really do. So each week in the series, um, if you've been following along with us, we do the same thing every single week. It's the same structure all throughout the series as we continue it on. We have a problematic idea about the God that we're talking about. And then we're going to have a disclaimer about what we're not saying. Then we're going to, so what is the truth and what's a challenge with the truth that you've learned? Okay, so here's the problematic idea for today. The problematic idea about angry God, and here's what's behind it, is this, that God is angry at sinners. This is the problematic idea. Now, a lot of people have this as their primary identity of God, that he is angry at sinful people. When I first moved here uh, from Kentucky, the, uh, we were renting a house and moved next door to a great guy and a great family, and they were um, totally unchurched, didn't do church at all, and it's every unchurched person's dream to have the pastor move next door. <laughs> And so, you know, we became friends. He was a great neighbor. And I invited him to church. Say, hey, man, you should come to church with me. And he would say this to me every time I invited him. Tell me if you've heard this before. He's like, man, I can't go to your church. As soon as I would walk in, the walls would fall in on itself. Has anybody ever heard that before? How many of you ever said that before? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right? And so some people think, God, God is angry at sinners like me. I can't go to church. No Way. See, this is the problematic idea. It's a half-truth that permeates our society, and it permeates even our public education. Um, growing up um, in the Tampa Bay area, go Bucks. Uh, growing up in the Tampa Bay area, um, I went to public high school, and some of you are probably like, yeah, we know. So um, I went to public high school. So it was a not a Christian school, not a Christian environment, totally secular. And I took AP U.S. History, non-Christian class. When you're learning about U.S. history, you learn about uh, the first and second great awakenings of this religious revival that swept our countries. Well, you learn in a secular textbook about the sermon that launched the first great awakening from Jonathan Edwards, and it's called this, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. So even if you don't go to church, but you learn about church in a textbook, and that's where you think God is, like, well, I guess God is angry at sinners. Jeez. Yikes. Now, the problem is with this God, this mistaken identity about angry God, is you're going to have one or two things with your experience of him. You're either going to be afraid of angry God, and if you're afraid of angry God, you're going to keep your distance. You don't want to get close to him because you're afraid that he'll hurt you and you think he doesn't like you, and so you won't draw near. Or, after you've been afraid for a while, eventually you just get sick of it and go, well, if that's what God is like, then forget him. I'm just done with it. And then people walk away. See, this is what happens. If you view God as angry God, it will keep you shallow in your faith with Jesus. And it might lead you to walk away from faith altogether. Now, here's the good news about angry God. Yeah, it's half-truths and all this stuff. Angry God, I believe, doesn't exist. And that Jesus is better than him. We're going to talk about that. So we have a problematic idea. God is angry at sinners. So what's the disclaimer that we're trying to say this week? The disclaimer, what we're not saying this week, is I am absolutely not saying that sin is not serious. Sin is very serious. I'm not saying it's not serious. Um, like, huge warning to everybody here. 
Um, you will be able to find Bible teachers who tell you otherwise. And you will be able to Google thoughts about God. Googling theology is kind of like Googling your symptoms when you feel like you have a cold. Just don't, just don't do it. Because <clears throat> you'll find somebody who tells you exactly what you want to hear. Okay? People, there are people who do say this. But they're telling you what itching ears want to hear. What the Apostle Paul says. You can find people who tell you it's not serious. But that's not what this book says. The book... The Bible teaches that sin is serious. In fact, it's deadly serious. Check out some of these verses. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. It says this, and this is New Testament, not Old Testament. It says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Oof, that's serious. Now, here's another verse that's kind of about this. For the wages of sin is death. This is Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, not detention, death. Wow. Now, here's the good news. Look at the second half of the sentence. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Don't worry, I'm not going to do a bait and switch and hit you with a red, angry fist when you're coming to church today. Here's the good news back up. There's no forgiveness without blood, and the penalty of sin is, or the wages of sin is death. Well, we worship a God in this place who loves you so much that he goes, fine, I'll shed my blood to be able to atone for their sin. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that great? Somebody should say an amen to this. Thank you. Okay. Now, this is how good Jesus is. Now, so here's the concept about how God feels about sin. How God feels about sin, uh, we can see clearly from Romans chapter 1, verses 18. And it says this here, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. The biblical term wrath um, it really talks about how does God feel about sin. Wrath is God's personal anger toward sin. God's personal anger toward sin. Aren't you glad you all came to church on Mother's Day today? Great sermon, Pastor Trevor. You're preaching on wrath on Mother's Day. Awesome. And some moms be like, amen, my kids need to hear about my wrath. I mean, like... <laughs> Now, just hang with me here. Some people, when, um, whenever preachers talk about this concept of the wrath of God, some people, the shell comes up. Like, here comes angry God, duck and cover. Um, and some people just have this, ugh, this awful distaste in their mouth for this idea of the wrath of God. Now, I'm here to tell you today, if you're having distaste around the idea of God's wrath, I think you've misunderstood it. I think you've misunderstood it. Let me, let me help illustrate here. Um, one of my favorite comedians um, talked about this bit where he, he kind of explains like everybody has their vegetable, at least one vegetable that they do not love. Everybody has a vegetable that they do not like. Rebecca, do vegans? Do vegans have vegetables they don't like? Do they like them all? They like them all? Okay. Except if you're vegan. Okay. So um, everybody, but most everybody has a vegetable that you do not like, Right. Right? Like, turn to your neighbor. Tell them the vegetable that you hate. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, some people are like, am I allowed to talk in a sermon? Am I allowed to do that? Right? Okay. Like, uh, very good. Very good. All of us have a vegetable that we hate. 
Now, um, remember, some of you may remember this, some of you might not know this. Uh, President George H.W. Bush, Bush 41, not 43, okay? Bush 41 um, hated broccoli, hated broccoli. He hated broccoli so much when he became president of the United States, he banned it from Air Force One and he banned it from the White House. As in, I'm the president. If you bring broccoli in here, shoot him, right? (laughs) That's right. So all the kids here and any kids who's streaming online, you could just hear this right now. One day you too could be president of the United States and ban broccoli from your house. You could do that. Now, for me, the vegetable I hate the most, it's like, blech, ugh, is beets. I hate, hate, hate beets. Gross. My mom and dad made beets all the time growing up. My dad's actually here in the front row. Would you welcome my dad? Would you ever say welcome? My dad. My mom and dad made beets all the time growing up. It just gross, gross, gross. I hated the way they smelled. The smell of beets makes me gag. They're gross. Somewhere I'm hurting Dwight Schrute's feelings, right? For, for all you Office fans. If you, if you know, you know, right? So um, now beets, beets are root vegetable, which means they grow underground, right? Which to me, that means it's a sign uh, that at the beginning of the world, when God made everything and he made beets, he went, you know, I just, Gabriel and Michael, they gag every time I cook this. It's just, it didn't turn out right. Something, let's just bury it in the ground and hope they don't find it, right? That's what I think about these things. Now, why in the world am I talking about beets? Vegetables and stuff that I think tastes gross, right? Um, if you think the wrath of God is like beets, blech, you've misunderstood it. It's not blech. It's actually very different than that. It's actually a part of God you should probably appreciate. Um, here's a picture of a theologian named Miroslav Volf. How about that name? Miroslav Volf. Um, he is one of the great theologians in all of Christianity. He's a renowned author and theologian. And he speaks best to what I've encountered on properly understanding the idea of the wrath of God because he too used to find this idea very distasteful. In fact, he used to find it unworthy of God. As in, maybe some of you have ever thought this before. How can God be God of love and also have wrath? How can that happen? No way. Yuck. Disdain for it. But then he goes on and shares how that changed for him. See, Miroslav Volf grew up in war-torn former Yugoslavia before he migrated to America. And he suffered through what you might not know was a horrible ethnic cleansing that happened in Yugoslavia. Horrible. 200,000 people died because of this. Three million people were displaced just because of their ethnicity. He writes, my villages and cities were destroyed. My people shelled day in, day out. Some of them brutalized beyond imagination. I couldn't, and I could not imagine God not being angry at that. And so even if you took it out of his own situation, maybe he's just being resentful. No. He said, okay, think about the Rwanda genocide that happened in 1994, where 800,000 people were hacked to death in just 100 days. Horrific genocide. Horrific. Do you really think that a God of love could not look on that and not be upset? 
Do we really think God would look on innocent blood being shed by the river and just pat people on the head and go, I just love everybody? No. In fact, Miroslav Volf said that if if God wouldn't be upset at some of the horrible atrocities in the world, like just think about some of the stuff today that makes you sick to your stomach. For me, it's sex trafficking and human trafficking. That makes my stomach sick. Do you think that God wouldn't be upset about that? Man, I would have to rebel against a God like that who didn't have wrath. Wouldn't you? In fact, look at this quote on the screen. Miroslav Volf says precisely this. God isn't wrathful in spite of being love. God is wrathful because God is love. See, our problem, our problem with wrath, where we go, blech, is we're okay with God being wrathful about somebody else's sin, but not mine. And when it comes to me, that's where we wave the penalty flag and go, well, I don't know. I don't know about that. Isn't he supposed to be God of love? And he is. It's precisely because he's a God of holy love. He has wrath for evil, evil things in the world. And by the way, so do you. So do you and so do I, right? We do. We do. Now, very clearly from Scripture, so what's the truth about us? So that's, like, I'm not saying sin isn't serious. Sin is serious, and it's very serious to God, and God cares a lot about sin. But remember, this sermon isn't how angry God is about sin. This sermon is how does God feel about sinners? It's very different. Well, the passage that we're going to look at for the rest of our time today is an amazing story that Jesus teaches to illustrate what is God really like and how does God really feel about sinful people? Is God angry God or is he something else? Let's hear what Jesus has to say about it. So this comes from Luke chapter 15. You have your Bible app on your phone or the sermon notes. We're going to put it on the screen as well. Listen to this. We're going to start in verses 1 and 2. It says this here. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Interesting, there's sinners. They're all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Let's just pause here just for a second. See, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were the professionally religious people of the day, and they totally lost the plot about who God was, who the God of the Bible was. Jesus made all of them mad. Doesn't that make you happy that Jesus ticked off all the professionally religious people and all for the normal people really love Jesus, right? Right. Clearly, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law believed in angry God. See, you either be afraid of angry God, or you'll take angry God and use that idea as a weapon of your own self-righteousness against people whose sins just look different than yours. And so right away, you can just see a context clear. This isn't even in your notes. A context clear is how does God feel about sinners? Very clearly here, Jesus is a friend of sinners. Right away. Right away. So if you identify somebody like, I don't think God would like me because of my life, Jesus would want to be your friend. And so Jesus goes on when he hears them mutter this, and he wants to correct their understanding of how God thinks about sinful people. And so Jesus tells a story about a woman who lost a coin. 
And so she went and tore her house up, up and down, looking for this one coin. And when she finally found her lost coin, oh, she threw a huge party. And then he goes on to tell a story about a shepherd who lost one sheep. And he left the other 99 to just go looking for the only one sheep. When he finally found it, he embraced it, put it on his shoulders, walked it home, threw a huge party for finding his one lost sheep. And so he goes from talking about money to livestock to people. He starts telling the story about a lost son. And he says this here, starting verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Um, You have to understand in first century Palestine, first century um, ancient Israel, you know what this sounded like? This wasn't, oh, father, can you give me an advance on my inheritance for an incredible investment opportunity that I have? It was more like this. I care about you so little, you're already dead to me. Just give me my money. That's how everyone would have heard it. When Jesus probably said this publicly, the whole room would have gone, no, they would have gasped. Horribly offensive. So he divided his property between them. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. This is a good Jewish joke that Jesus is cracking here. Remember, Jewish people aren't allowed to touch pork. And this guy is having to take care of the pigs in the pig pen. Everyone would have, this is what this jerk gets. Verse 16. So Jesus continues in. So this son, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, I'm starving to death. That phrase there, it says he came to his senses. In the original Greek, it says when he came to himself. I have this moment of, what am I doing? When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and went to his father. But while... He was still a long way off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast to celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. Wow. Just incredible. At the very least, we can at least celebrate that they were having a good barbecue, right? So how does, what is Jesus trying to do? Is he how God feels about sinful people and about sinners like you and like me? 
How does he feel? Is God angry at sinners? No. No. Jesus shows us this. First, God is grieved. God grieves sinners. Not as people he's angry at. God grieves sinners as lost sons and daughters. This is how God sees people who are sinful. I just love the end scene of this one says, while he was still a long way off, it's almost like the father every single day is sitting on a rocking chair on his porch and he's looking at the horizon, just looking. Maybe today's the day where he or she will come home. For those of you who may be far from God, maybe you've never become a follower of Jesus. Maybe you were, but you've wandered. God misses you. That's how God feels about you. He misses you. He grieves us as lost sons and daughters that he's just waiting to come home, plotting, scheming, looking, trying to find any way to bring them back home. That's how God feels about you. A father who misses you and wants you to come home. How does God feel about sinners? What's well, clear from the passage here? God wants us to grieve our sin too. He wants us to grieve our sin too. He just doesn't want it to be enough that his heart breaks when we have walked away from him. He wants our heart to break with his too. That's why I love in the passage when the son comes to himself in the middle of the pig pen. That's why I always say, Everybody needs a pig pen moment in their life. And if you know what I mean, you know what I mean. I don't mean literally a pig pen because we're in Loxahatchee. I mean, you know, like, you know, some of you might have pigs. Um, But we all need a pig pen moment in our life where we're doing something we shouldn't be doing, consuming something we shouldn't be consuming, doing something with somebody we shouldn't be doing it with. And all of a sudden, we come to ourselves and go, what am I doing? If any of you are here today and you're living moments in your life where you're feeling that way, that's the work of the Holy Spirit trying to help you to come home to yourself. And Jesus is trying to convince you and break your heart for the things that breaks his. Not because that's the beginning of a guilt trip, but because that's the beginning of a journey home. And as the band is getting up here, we're getting ready to worship. Here's the final thing. How does God feel about sinful people? Well, he grieves them as lost sons and daughters. He wants us to be grieved by our sin too. I love this. I think angry God probably holds forgiveness in his hand and white knuckles it, and you have to peel it out of his fingers by being good enough, by trying, by pleading hard enough, by praying enough prayers, and begging and begging and begging and begging and begging, and maybe he'll cool off enough to just let us take it from his hand. Jesus, however, reveals how his father is, and he is eager to forgive sin. Notice the story. The father runs to his boy. Jewish men didn't run. It was beneath them. But he ran to his son. He wrapped his arms around his son. He kissed him. He said, bring the best robe, which would have been the father's robe. He said, bring him a ring, which means the son was fully reinstated as a son in the family. 
bring the sandals, which means he wasn't a servant. He didn't have to grovel. He didn't have to barter. He didn't have to wait to do anything to get back into his family. And God did not, the father in the story, didn't even let the son finish his spiel. He didn't even let him finish. He was halfway through it and wrapped his arms around that kid. Just like me and you. When you get half the prayer out to say, Jesus, I need you to forgive me and wash me with your blood for the things I've done before you can even finish the sentence. Jesus says, I love you, you're home. This son, this daughter of mine was dead, is now alive. You were lost, but now you're found. Welcome home. See, angry God will whisper at you, what have you done? But Jesus is here today to wrap his arms around you and whisper in your ear, welcome home. So what do you do with this truth? There's only one right thing to do right now. And for any of you here or streaming online have not yet come home to the Father through Jesus. Or maybe it's been a long time and you need to come home again. Today is the day to come home. If you want to do that, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Wait, um, you bow your heads, let's pray. I'm not going to embarrass anybody, make them do anything public. But I'm going to lead you in a prayer if you want to pray this. Just silently to yourself. If you want to come home to the God of love and experience this Jesus, who is a friend of sinners, and hear him whisper by the Holy Spirit to you today, welcome home. Pray this with me in the silence of your hearts, either here or online. Pray this with me. Jesus, when I look at you, I believe. I believe you came and lived your life here among us. I believe you died for my sins on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead for my life. I believe you are the son of God. I ask you to be my Lord. Be my leader. Be my forgiver. Be my friend. Come live in my heart right now by faith. And I will follow you all the days of my life. It's in your holy name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Can we give a hand for anybody who prayed that prayer for the first time or somebody who came home to God? So I invite you... uh, Let's respond to this God of love. Would you stand if you're able and let's sing to this Jesus, the friend of sinners. I got one more challenge for you. Whether you've been a follower of Jesus for five minutes or you've been following him your whole life. Jesus one time had a conversation with a sinful woman who was caught in the act of adultery, dragged out in public, people ready to stone her and kill her. And there are people surrounding her who believed an angry God who were ready to kill her. And Jesus sent them all away, exposed their hypocrisy and their self-righteousness. None of them want to experience a God who is angry at sinners either, but rather a God who is graceful towards sinners. And they all left and they all dropped their stones one by one. And Jesus looked at the woman and he said, hey, look around. Who's condemning you? Who's, who's, Who's condemning you now? And she looked around and they were all gone. She said, 
to Jesus. No one. And he said these words in John 8, 11. And neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. There's power in the name of Jesus for you to walk out of this place changed. There's power in the name of Jesus, who's the friend of sinners, who changes lives. He just doesn't forgive you. He can free you from sin. And there's power to live different that you can experience here and then carry out there beyond Sunday into Monday, into Tuesday, into Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday. There's power in the name of Jesus. So that's the challenge. Believe and follow him. She thought she was going to experience angry God. Instead, she met Jesus. She met Jesus instead. Would you prepare your hearts to receive this benediction? Now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, go in God's peace. Happy Mother's Day. We'll see you next week.